Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome back, future doctors. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We really try to do our best to come up with topics that are helpful for you. But if you ever feel like you have a topic that we haven't talked about yet and that you're interested in learning more about, please let us know. You can reach out to us via our website or via social media. We love hearing from you. Occasionally we get comments thanking us for an episode or asking for some advice. And we just love interacting with you. We love to know that people are listening and that our stories, our experiences, our interviews, our advice is being heard because we really wish we had had this when we were at your stage in the medical journey. And we're just really here to help and and be a support for all of you so that you can become doctors one day. So today we'll be discussing a topic that might seem a bit strange to be discussing on our podcast because we created this podcast to inspire and empower you to become a doctor. And as incredible as we think it is to be a doctor, as much as we want to motivate you to follow your own path to medical school, we also want to make sure that you understand what the journey entails. We want you to go in with, as they say, eyes wide open. We want you to understand the great and the not so great parts and everything in between about being a doctor in today's world. And I feel like we wouldn't be doing that if we didn't take a few moments to discuss the reality of what's called physician burnout, because we have both experienced it at one point or another. We have both felt exhausted at some points in our education, in our training, and in our day-to-day work as doctors. We have both had moments where we ask ourselves, am I really making a difference? We have both complained about some parts of our jobs, especially the hours and hours spent finishing charts long after the patients and the medical assistants and the receptionists have gone home for the day. And there was even a one point in my career when I asked myself, why did I do this? Why did I sacrifice a whole decade of my life to become a doctor if I'm not happy? And I'll talk more about that in a little while. And one problem that we see that actually contributes to burnout is people not talking about it, not being honest about their experiences. In fact, not talking about any issue that's a problem just tends to make it worse. Suppression just tends to feed into the problem. So we're going to talk about it as honestly and as openly as we can on today's episode. Also, I think it's a topic that might come up during medical school interviews. I've actually seen a couple of mini medical interview prompts and some other things that can pop up in interviews related to burnout and the challenges of being physician. Think about if you got asked on an interview something like, what are the challenges of being a physician? Or what would you do if you started to experience burnout as a physician? How would you respond? If you have never heard about burnout or you've never asked the hard questions about your future career, you may not know what to say or you may have a very naive answer that shows that you don't really understand what you're getting into, at least not completely. Dr. Z, out of curiosity, do you remember ever learning about physician burnout before medical school or even during medical school? No, I don't think um, 
I, I was trying to think back, but in medical school, no, I feel like in medical school, they focus more on medical student burnout mm-hmm. and they start bringing up a little bit of residency burnout because they know you're about to embark this journey where you work a lot of hours, yeah. but not the actual part of being a physician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I remember taking some surveys in medical school about burnout. And I think they talked about how medical students, the data that they had so far from those surveys showed that medical students come into medical school very idealistic, like wanting to make a difference, very hopeful about the future. And over the course of the four years, that optimism and that kind of fire in your belly kind of starts to decrease. So burnout can actually start during medical school. And I would say it can even start before medical school because I saw a lot, I see a lot of pre-meds that are working really, really hard to get to medical school and already burning themselves out. But I didn't really hear that much about physician burnout in terms of the day-to-day. Like once you're actually a physician, what it's like, what are the challenges? Are physicians always happy with their jobs? I didn't really hear much around that. Um, I knew medical school would be challenging, would require a lot of sacrifice, but I feel like physicians that I worked with didn't really talk openly about it. And I think it'll depend which medical school you go to as well. Some medical schools are more, I think, in tune to the burnout topic and not as much mm-hmm. others. I think when you and I were there, luckily we had um, Dr. Moutier there. She, she's a psychiatrist and she was very much about medical student burnout and depression and so forth. So I think we had great support in that and, at that time, but I think it'll vary from school to school. So your experiences may be different from one school to another, but it's important to talk about it. Definitely. So before we discuss the statistics on burnout or what to do about it, let's clarify exactly what we mean by physician burnout and burnout in general. So there's a technical definition and then there's a more kind of common sense definition. The common sense definition is that burnout is simply feeling tired. Tired enough that you wonder if you can continue. Tired enough that you start not to care. Tired enough that you question why you even bother. Tired enough that you feel like your efforts don't even matter anymore. You feel like you're trying to drive a car without any gasoline left in your tank. Then there's the more technical definition, which the American Medical Association describes like this. Burnout is a long-term stress reaction that can include any of the following. Emotional exhaustion depersonalization. In other words, having less empathy or having negative attitudes toward other people like your patients or the people you work with. Feelings of decreased personal achievement, like feeling like you're just not making a difference. Dr. Z, let's be honest with our audience, as we always are, and go through these burnout criteria questions for ourselves. So I'll start with you and then I'll answer as well. Have you ever felt emotionally exhausted? Oh, yeah. I feel like I think in all areas, right? When we were in college, (laughs) when we were in medical school, residency, you know, very much so (laughs) just because we were also sleep deprived. But I think even as a practicing physician, I've had my moments too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Me too. Medical school, it's exhausting. You're just studying and studying and studying and then getting to the hospital sometimes at five in the morning and working really long shifts. And not only when you're in your third and fourth year, you're doing those long clinical shifts and then you're having to go home and study as well. And in residency, that's the same thing. 
in residency, you're working even more than in medical school. Sometimes you're working those 80 hour work weeks, which used to be more, but thankfully they put some limitations on that. So yeah, I felt, I felt physically and emotionally exhausted at times. And even sometimes when I was out in practice, when I first started working as a pediatrician and I had my Monday through Friday, eight to five job, I was in heaven. Like I was like, compared to residency, this is amazing. I have evenings, I have weekends, life couldn't be better. But then after about a year, I started to feel tired too, because Monday through Friday, eight to five, it's not like you can just, you can clock out at five o'clock and you're done, right? For doctors, there's a lot of work that you have to do during lunch that you have to do after work. You have to finish following up on emails and lab results and referrals, and you have to close all your notes for the day. And it's just a lot. So it can get exhausting. And I definitely have felt that. I think too, like as physicians or even medical students, because we're doing so much like on the go, 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 we learn to set our emotions aside. And when you do that, you get to a point because you're just like, why bother? I got to keep going. I can't deal with emotions. I think that build up over time, you get emotionally exhausted. I remember in medical school, I was in a pediatric surgery rotation. And you know, it's like, you're just one patient after the other after the other, right? And I remember this patient specifically, it was a little a little kid. And we were there to take out a tumor to see if it was malignant. The surgeon did and then sent it. He gets the call like 30 minutes later that it is, right? And then he says, you know, I'm going to go talk to the family. Do you want to go with me? And I said, sure, I'll go with you. And we go into this little conference room. And then I remember as he's saying it, the mom literally falls apart to the ground because it was malignant. And I'm there like at this point, I'm doing surgery, so I'm so tired. But I'm there and I'm just like, this is so hard. Because I think for a minute, I hadn't really put much attention to my emotions. Mm-hmm. And I remember we went back to the next patient to the OR and I was just really quiet, you know, with help assisting the surgeon. And then he stops and he looks at me and he says, it's weird, right? Well, we just went through and then we just go on to the next patient. And I said, that family's life has changed forever, you know? So also that build up will also create emotional exhaustion as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up because I think one of the things that really contributes to emotional exhaustion is just the the pace of medicine nowadays. In most offices, you have 15 to 20 minutes per patient, if that, sometimes less. (laughs) And so if you think about seeing 20 to 30 patients in one day and dealing with the problems and the emotions of every single patient, and you're having to be present with them having to show compassion, you're having to like, show empathy for each of those 20 to 30 people, that alone is emotionally exhausting, it's draining. And I feel like I pick up on people's energy very easily. I think we both do. Um, And that that's part of what makes us great physicians. But it also can be very draining. And so we have to make sure that we have things that we do in our lives to recharge that energy after we're drained. And sometimes when you're working like Monday through Friday, just back to back these days, it can get hard to have enough time to recharge between. Okay, next question. Have you ever felt like your empathy or compassion for people is running low? Yes, um, I think 
I think I probably in medical school, I didn't have that. I think it came in residency, especially by your second or especially your third year. You're working so much that you forget. And and this is terrible, but there would be times where a patient can be in some type of pain or whatever. And you're like, oh, you'll be fine. Just take this. You know, you no longer lost that compassion. And then when you're actually rested and you think about that patient, you're like, how could I have done that or even thought that to that patient? Like, if that's what they're really experiencing, that's what they're really experiencing. And now as a practicing doctor, that does happen, right? There's moments. And I try to catch myself because I don't want to be disconnected with the empathy, because the patients that come to you, they come to you because they need you. <laughs> and to not care for them then really takes away the the pleasure and purpose of your work that you do. But does it happen? Yes. And I especially see it happen a lot with psychiatrists and mental health professionals. Yeah, there's even a term for this called compassion fatigue, where, you know, we all go into medicine because we want to help people. But when over and over and over and over again, you're just kind of, in a way, just assaulted with like the needs of other people and trying to meet those needs in a system that is not always designed to optimally meet those needs, then it feels like your compassion can just kind of be drained. And it's not your fault. Like it's not, There are a lot of systemic problems that are contributing to this, including these like really short visits, right? But I've definitely felt this. I mean, when I worked in urgent care, especially and, you know, I see like 24 patients in like five hours. That's a lot. And so you're just like back to back seeing four to five patients per hour. All of them are like cough, sore throat, fever, cough, sore throat, fever, cough, sore throat, fever. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm tired of seeing cough. And sometimes I will be brutally honest here. Sometimes when I'm seeing that like 10th cough of the day and I'm about to walk into that room, sometimes my mind is just negative. And, and I'm tired and it's like, ugh, I don't care about this cough. The good thing is that when I actually walk into the room and I start talking to them, those thoughts kind of go away. They melt away because this is a person in front of me and it's, it's hard to be mean to the real person in front of you <laughs> in a way when you actually see, okay, just because they're the same complaint as the 10 other people I saw before them, for them, this is their first time with this particular problem. And they just need a listening ear, they need compassion, they need a little bit of explanation and reassurance. And so luckily, actually being face to face with the person helps to melt away some of the <laughs> negativity. But you know, I think this is something that a lot of physicians deal with, especially when they're in really busy clinics, or they're seeing a lot of the same thing that can get exhausting, your compassion meter can kind of just run low. It's a reality. Compassion fatigue is a reality. Next question. Have you ever felt like you're not helping your patients as much as you should or could? Oh, yeah. I think this is very relevant when something bad happens to your patient and then you just kick yourself in the butt like, how could I have not helped them more or this and that? And we have this conversation recently, unfortunately, with a uh, psychiatrist, she and I were talking about it. And there was a loss of a patient, you know, with suicide. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just sit there and you think like, is there anything else I could have done? Did I miss something? You know, but not only with mental health, but even just physical health. I've had it when, you know, we're humans, we're gonna miss things. And where a patient ends up hospitalized, and you're like, did I met? Oh my gosh, how could I have not checked that? I should have checked this. So yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're human, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not perfect. We do the, do our best. Yeah, I've definitely felt this too. And I think especially when I've worked in clinics where I have very limited amount of time with patients, you know, I, um, at the Federally Qualified Health Center, at the Community Health Center where I worked in San Diego, that was one of the reasons I really started to feel burned out at that job because I loved the patients I was working with. It was this low income patients, a lot of Spanish speaking patients. They were patients that were like my family growing up. And so my heart was really into serving that community. But the clinic, the way that the clinic operated, I only had 15 minutes per patient. And that's in an ideal circumstance. If everybody arrives on time, if everybody gets checked in smoothly, if nobody has insurance issues or whatever, But the reality was that you actually ended up with somewhere between five and 15 minutes per patient because sometimes people were late. Sometimes one person took a lot longer. And so sometimes you would have like four people waiting for you in four different rooms all at the same time. Right. And that can be really stressful. And so because you're short on time and you feel like you're kind of always in a rush or in a rush a lot of the time, you go in and... What if the patient has a lot of questions? What if the teenager is feeling suicidal? What if this teenager came from a group home and has like 10 medical conditions and they don't know their medications and you have to try to figure them out and you have to try to send referrals and you have to, you know, you have to try to make do with what you have or just other really complex, especially uh, psychological challenges, kids that are experiencing anxiety, depression, have lost a loved one are dealing with a complex medical condition. Some of those things, it's really hard to feel like you're doing a good job in 10 to 15 minutes. It's really hard to feel like you can address all of their questions, all of their concerns in a satisfactory way in 15 minutes. Plus do all of the physical and reviewing their labs and do all that other stuff that you're supposed to do as well. So yes, I definitely felt because of time limitations that I often could not do the type of good job that I wanted to do. So that's a very, that's a big reality in medicine. And then, so, so just talking about burnout in general, Dr. Z, is there a moment during your education training or career where you felt especially burned out? Yeah, uh, residency. uh, And I can specifically remember a moment in residency, you get about one day off a week and that's it guys. So that day is like gold to you. And I remember I was in the apartment with my husband and then um, it was my day off. And then my phone rings around seven or eight at night saying that, you know, I was a backup call person that I needed to go in because somebody's child is sick. And I hung up and I cried so hard. And I remember telling my husband, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is my one day. I'm exhausted. I don't have a life anymore. I don't feel like I have it in me. And I just cried and cried and cried. I remember that like so vividly still because it was so hard just how burnt out I was at that moment where I knew like, am I going to be able once I get back from the hospital to get up to go back to that hospital again? Because I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I remember crying in residency too. (laughs) There were many times uh, for different reasons, but a lot of it is burnout. When you are physically and emotionally exhausted from the work that you're doing, you have very little reserve to deal with things that happen to you. So I remember 
one of my pets passed away my intern year and like you're all again you're already exhausted as we're dealing with the emotion of kind of like you know losing a pet <laughs> I remember I was working in the NICU the neonatal ICU where we take care of preemie babies and we were doing like morning rounds and the attending was at the head of the table and he asked me a question and I didn't know the answer and I was going through this like having lost my pet the day before and just trying to kind of suck it up and just be there and do my job because I had to right and I didn't know the answer, so I said, I don't know. And he kept looking at me and he's saying, well, just guess. And I got really frustrated. I was like, I don't know. And I just like broke down <laughs> into tears like, in the middle of rounds. And it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and I like left the room because I just needed a moment. And afterwards, he was like, are you OK? And like my uh, resident came to me and talked. But it was it was hard because you're in that in that environment where you barely have enough time to like take care of your like physical needs and you're not getting enough sleep. And then if anything happens like with your friends, with your family, with your personal health, with anything that stretches you even further, it can be really hard to deal with that. So that's <laughs> one very memorable um, experience from my intern year. But there were other moments, of course, that I just had to go home and cry cried out mm -hmm. like just it was a hard day it was a stressful day it was kind of just like releasing the emotions of the day because that's what I needed to do and I'm sure a lot of people do that I was not the only one residency does also have good parts of it we don't want to scare you but there are very difficult parts of it too they're very difficult but you know residency is needed so you do become a good doctor yeah and it's amazing how much you learn and you grow and how many people we were able to help too. We both worked in Los Angeles, helping communities that we really care about and uh, people who would otherwise not have medical care at those county hospitals. So as much as they're hard things, they're also really wonderful things. You get to make a difference in the lives of so many people. And that I can agree with. I can remember several occasions where you actually do make a difference. Yeah. For me, burnout probably reached its peak, interestingly. So when I learned about burnout before, again, I didn't really learn too much about it. I thought, well, maybe, yeah, burnout is a possibility, maybe like 10 years after becoming a doctor. So I was really surprised when I actually started to experience significant burnout two years after being a full-fledged physician. So two years after residency, two years into working at this community health center in San Diego, and I was really confused by it. There was definitely a time when I was like, what am I doing wrong? Is it something about me? Like, why am I not happy in this job? And so there was a lot of kind of like questioning what's, what's going on? Is it possible that I gave up 10 years of my life to become a physician, to go to medical school, to go to residency, <laughs> to give up my whole personal life, to sacrifice that time? And now here I am, a pediatrician, pediatricians are supposed to be happy. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm working with kids. I'm helping people. I'm giving back to my community, which is like what I always wanted to do. Why am I not happy? And it really took some reading. It took some like talking to other people. It even took like hiring a burnout coach to really try to figure out what was going on. And then I started reading about this whole literature of burnout and realizing that I was not alone that there were many, many physicians in this country who were experiencing exactly what I was experiencing, but we didn't always talk about it. But I started to read a lot of like, you know, psychology books and some of the burnout literature papers that had been published and starting to understand why I was feeling burned out. And the big components for me 
were just feeling rushed all the time, feeling like I couldn't really give all of myself and I couldn't always help people in the way that I had been trained to help people. The very idealistic part of me wanted to fix everyone's problems. And within that system, I couldn't do that, right? I was doing as as good a job as I could and my patients loved me and Mm -hmm. staff really liked me and I loved the clinic and the people. But still, it it just felt like I couldn't, on a day-to-day basis, I was becoming exhausted and I couldn't do as good of a job as I wanted to do. So I hired a burnout coach and she was the first one who kind of helped me to realize that you know what, you're not alone, first of all. And second of all, there are things that you can do about this, right? You don't have to work in this clinic, first of all. Mm -hmm. There are other job opportunities out there. And just because this one is not a good match for you in every way, it doesn't mean that there won't be another job that won't be a better match. So it gave me some hope. And I started to actually, like I formed a committee at my work to try to investigate burnout, started talking about it as an organization, as a clinic. So I felt like at least I was doing something. But that's really <laughs> what what comes to mind with, with burnout was that year when I started to feel burned out and I thought, what is going on? Did I just waste a decade of my life? And the answer, thankfully, is no. <laughs> I have now found other jobs where I'm much happier. But, you know, don't be surprised if, if in the future at some point you start to have these experiences and start to have these feelings. Don't feel alone because you're not alone. Yeah. Can I add something, Dr. Marina? I think too, like um, most uh, residents and medical students, a lot of them wait to have their families too until they're done. And I feel like that was, I think when I became a practicing physician, a hard time that I had to, again, with burnout was because I had more to care with once I had my son. And it was so hard with everything Dr. Marina said. So you're dealing with that at work. But then you, you're done with work and then you're on go, go, go now with your child or children and you get burned out in, in those both areas, you know, as a caretaker and doing that. Both of them require a lot of emotion consumption, right? And again, you're putting your own emotions aside. So that was another, but um, I'm sure we'll talk about more of how you can deal with all of this because there, there are ways to deal with it. You know, initially when you start, you think like, oh my God, what did I do? Am I going to be able to do this? But there's things you can do about it. Definitely. And we will get to that point. So I just want to go over a couple of statistics about burnout among physicians here in the United States. So currently, as of 2023, a whopping 63% of physicians experience symptoms of burnout at least once per week. Now, it doesn't have to be all those three that we talked about, all those three symptoms, but at least one or two of them on a weekly basis. So 63%, that's a lot. That's a majority of physicians nowadays. It's also important to note that the rates of burnout have been steadily on the rise over the last few decades. And they actually took a really big jump after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, because as we know, COVID-19 really strained a lot of our healthcare systems. And it was scary to go to work for many physicians, right? They worried about getting sick. (laughs) They worried about bringing sickness home to their family and all of that. Also, lots of people quit. Nurses and physicians started to quit during (laughs) COVID. Anyone that was near retirement, some of them retired early. And so that left the people who were remaining with more work to do, and that contributed even more to burnout as well. Another fact is that physician burnout causes some physicians to cut down to part-time work, to retire early, or even to change jobs. We know personally physicians who have become so burned out that they just changed careers, that they started working for a pharmaceutical company, or they started 
doing um, coaching or they started doing other things. It's not a majority of people, but this can happen if burnout gets bad enough. Burnout also has some features in common with depression, and it's thought to contribute to higher rates of suicide among physicians compared to the general population. In fact, 300 to 400 physicians die by suicide each year in this country, or approximately one per day. And that's really tragic because think of all of what they went through to serve other people, and they serve, serve, serve other people, but there's something lacking in, you know, being able to care for themselves. And it gets so bad to the point of considering suicide. So, I mean, that's just really tragic to me that the rate of suicide for physicians is higher than in the general population. You might be wondering, what are the major factors that contribute to physician burnout? And there are a couple of factors, including these. So time pressure, like we talked about, these tend to maybe 20 minute visits if you're lucky in a certain type of clinic. Very rarely do you have 30 to 60 minute visits. You have to be in a particular specialty that really warrants that kind of time. But in the vast majority of primary care settings, you're going to have 15 to 20 minute visits. And so that time pressure is one of those things that contributes to physicians feeling burned out. And another related problem is a chaotic environment. I mentioned that sometimes people are late, some people are early. So you could have like four people waiting for you all at the same time. And you're like, there's only one of me. What am I supposed to do? It can feel chaotic and it can feel out of control. And at the same time, maybe the nurse is coming up to you and saying, oh, I need you to sign this prior authorization. And the MA is coming up to you and say, you need to order vaccines for this child. And, you know, you have five emails to deal with and you have 20 charts to close and you have someone calling you, you know. So this all contributes to a chaotic environment, potentially, depending on where you work. Or your support staff calls out sick and then there's no or they leave and there's no support staff. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's also a lack of control. So physicians nowadays, the majority of physicians are employed physicians, meaning that they are working for a clinic or a large medical system. So they don't have very much control over their schedule, right? Their employer, the company determines you are supposed to see this many patients per day. We are going to schedule them for you. Your responsibility is just to see them. You're their doctor. We tell you what to do. You don't really have much say over how much time you get with patients or what patients you see or your schedule even. You just have to show up and, you know, fulfill your contract for that employer. So there can be that lack of control. There's also what's called the Electronic Medical Record System or EMR, also called the Electronic Health Record or EHR. So this is basically the system that we use to look up labs, to order tests, to write our notes, to look up notes from other specialists or ER visits. It's that whole electronic system that we are using day to day as physicians. And as wonderful as technology is, the EMR has many great things about it. It has also added extra burdens to our work. Back in the day, I remember even in medical school, I shadowed a doctor who still had paper charts. And it was just like, check, 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 things are normal, a few little lines of text, and his chart was done. And it took like all of one minute, maybe two minutes. There was a really complex patient, maybe three minutes, right? Nowadays, because of the EMR, we feel like we have to create these really elaborate long notes, and we're afraid of getting sued. So we have to make sure we document everything. 
And so it can take a long time to do that. You might have templates and other things, but even then you have to document carefully and that documentation takes time. And then also you have to follow up on lab results and on referrals and patient messages that they can send you through their portal. All of those things take time. And then last of all, the other big contributor to burnout is family responsibilities. Dr. Z mentioned trying to raise her first child when she was out of residency and how she was working long days and then going home and having to tend to the needs of that child. That also contributes. And it doesn't just have to be childcare. It can be you know, if you're getting married, if you're entering a serious relationship, if your parents are sick, if your children have special needs, any of that can add to the pressure of being a physician. Yeah, that in that first year too, when you have a child, the schedule that Dr. Marina just talked about, you know, women, we're breastfeeding our children, right? So we have to try to cut out time and that busy work schedule to pump. And, um, and that is, I would say like that first year that you have a child, it's probably one of the hardest things and stressful things because it's just, you're always behind. And that time you, that, you know, your work does give you a slot, but you're so behind that you're usually finishing up with the patient when it was, you had, you were supposed to already be done pumping. So that is also stressful. It's true. Absolutely. So we mentioned time pressure, chaotic environment, lack of control, electronic medical records, and family responsibilities. I want to point out that four out of those five that we just mentioned are actually factors that are out of our control. They're features of our current healthcare system. So we as physicians don't have a lot of control over them, which is why I think burnout is actually increasing and it's at an all-time high because it's not a problem with us as doctors. It's not that we're weak or that we don't have enough resilience. It's that the current healthcare system has created factors that feel overwhelming to even the strongest and most capable people, like these short visits, these medical records that take way too much time to complete, etc. Because a lot of these contributing factors are systemic problems, it's not just our responsibility as doctors and future doctors to find solutions. It will require us all to work together, especially the healthcare system as a whole. It requires leaders, CEOs, chief medical officers, administrators to care about this problem enough that the system starts to change in a way that works for everyone. Now you might be wondering, okay, so now that I know about physician burnout and I understand why it might happen to any doctor, are there things that I can do to protect myself from it? Even if I can't control the healthcare system, are there things that I can do to protect myself? Or am I just doomed to get burned out, right? No, you're not doomed to get burned out. There really are things you can do to protect yourself from it, even if you can't change the whole healthcare system. So we're going to go over three things that you can do. So first of all, learn how to care for yourself now. Not tomorrow, not when you're a physician in 10 years. Learn to care for yourself now. We cannot emphasize this enough. You already know this, but few of you actually do it. You have to eat well. You have to get enough sleep. You have to exercise a few days a week. You have to make a little time for things that rejuvenate you. You have to spend time fostering positive relationships with your family, with your friends. And the more you do these things now, the better off you are going to be in the future and also today. Too many students drive themselves into the ground. I see this happening a lot with pre-meds. They're competing for good grades and great MCAT scores and the perfect combination of research, clinical, and volunteer experiences. They think, 
I'll take care of myself when I get to my goal, when I'm finally a doctor, or some people joke and say, I'll sleep when I die, right? I hate to break it to you, but this type of thinking is actually a trap. If you don't learn how to take care of yourself at least a little bit right now, you will not do it when you become a doctor. You will just become the type of doctor that works too much, sleeps too little, and drives themselves into burnout. Would you agree with that, Dr. C? A hundred percent. And I just want to emphasize that habits don't change overnight. Start to develop good habits now so that in the future you can be a doctor who cares for yourself and your patients. In fact, if you practice caring for yourself now, you will have a greater capacity to care for your patients because you yourself are in a good place. If you were sick and in the hospital, would you rather have a doctor who is healthy and happy and well-rested? Or would you like to have a doctor who is unhealthy, burned out, and sleep-deprived? Who would we want to be caring for ourselves or for our loved ones? So we should strive to be that kind of doctor for other people. If you haven't already, go and listen to our episode on the Student's Guide to Self-Care. We talk about realistic ways to take care of yourself physically and psychologically in ways that do not cost money, but do take practice. Anything to add, Dr. Z? No, I think what you said is, you know, just practicing early on and not waiting later. It's just key because you end up learning how to prioritize yourself. And I think it's once you can realize how things are going to come at you this way, that way, that way. But if you put yourself first, it's just going to make you a better person at work, at home, I think, in all of your relationships as well. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, like they say on the airplanes, put your own mask on first before you attempt to help other people. Second tip is learn to slow down and appreciate the present moments. Remember, life is not a race. As they say, life is a journey, not a destination. Have you ever gone on a hike or on a long run or on a long bike ride? What stands out in your memory about that experience? Would it have been the same if you could have just snapped your fingers and skipped to the end? How fun would it be to watch a movie or read a book if you just skipped right to the end and skipped everything in the middle? I remember being a pre-med and calculating the number of years that it was going to take me to become a physician, right? I calculated that I would be 29 if I went straight from college to med school to residency, I would be 29. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it before I'm 30, right? (laughs) It was all this like countdown mentality. I had one big goal and everything in my life was targeted to getting to that goal. But because I was so focused on that future goal, I think I missed some of the little moments and the joy that I could have experienced because I was so focused on the future. And I thought that that future was what was going to bring me happiness, not the things that I was experiencing in that moment or during those years in college and medical school. So this focus on the future instead of on the day-to-day moments contributed to me actually being depressed. Whenever I had to study for a test, it wasn't just about learning something and enjoying the fascination of learning something. It became about earning a good enough grade in order to get into medical school, in order to become a doctor, in order to be happy one day in the future. It became a reason to worry and to stress and imagine how horrible things would be if I didn't do well on the test. But the funny thing is that if I had just stopped worrying about the future and just focused on learning what was in front of me, I would have done better because more of my brain's energy and my emotional energy would have been devoted to learning that thing instead of worrying about imaginary fears in the future. 
Does that sound familiar at all to you, Dr. Z? Yeah. As you're talking about this, I remembered a quote that I was uh, I was reading a book and then I saw this quote and I took a picture of it. And it actually resonates with this. I looked it up right now on my phone. It's from a Chinese philosopher. It says, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. And it's everything you said in a nutshell. So true. I wish I had known this stuff like 20 years ago. Mindfulness is luckily becoming a bigger thing in society. It's becoming more popularized. This really is about mindfulness. It's about living in the present. It's just kind of surrendering to the reality of now. When we fight reality, we end up miserable and we usually lose. When we just accept the reality that is in front of us and just do the best we can with it, try to control the things we do have control of and let go of everything else, that's where we find peace. That's where we find contentment. That's where we are able to let go of worry because we're just, we're not fighting reality. When you fight reality, you lose most of the time. So that really helped me. We also have an episode on mindfulness. So if you haven't listened to that one, go ahead and feel free to go back and listen to it. Tip number three, recognize that you have more power than you realize. When I kind of felt miserable and trapped in my job several years ago, like I talked about, one of the things that contributed to my burnout was actually believing that I was trapped. I felt like, well, if I'm not happy in this job, I'm not going to be able to be happy in any other job. And my burnout coach was the one that told me that's ridiculous, right? There's so many opportunities out there and you can go find something that's a better fit. But it took bravery on my part to accept that and to be able to go out and change jobs, look for other jobs. And eventually I did. I ended up working in a different job where I worked less hours, but I was still able to make about the same amount of money. And I had more flexibility and more time to do other things. And then, and then actually after that, a few years ago, I ended up starting my own practice where I have even more freedom and even more flexibility and the ability to practice medicine in a way that really brings me joy and that helps people in a way that I was not able to help people in other practice settings. So I had more power than I realized, and you have more power than you realize too. Whether you're in your pre-med years or in medical school, residency, or practicing physician, you will have more power than you realize. Did you ever feel powerless in your education or work life, Dr. Z? Oh, for sure. In education, again, I think it was just the system and the system makes you feel powerless, right? And then when you get, when you finish residency and you get your first job, since you don't know any better, you just feel that that's just the way it's supposed to be and you suck it up. Like this is it. It can definitely make you feel powerless. Okay. So when you're a pre-med, you may not feel like you have a lot of power or options, but you actually have more than you realize. Making small changes in your attitude and your commitments will help to protect yourself from burnout during your college years and into your future career. So let's go over a few ways in which you have more power than you realize. So first of all, you don't have to rush to finish all of your pre-med requirements. You can space them out and take them at a pace that works for you. In fact, trying to overload your plate often backfires. You may end up, you know, putting too many classes on your plate and work and extracurriculars and trying to do too much at once. Your grades might suffer. You may end up exhausted. You may end up miserable because you just have too much to do. So think about that, right? You don't have to rush. This is not a race. 
Second of all, don't overcommit. If you find yourself feeling exhausted, take a look at everything that you think you have to do and ask yourself what is actually necessary. And is there anything that you can take off your plate? It's okay to say no to things and it's okay to set boundaries to protect your time and your well-being. If you have to work to support yourself while you're in school, take a lighter course load. Choose extracurricular activities that are a reasonable time commitment or that you're really passionate about, not just kind of meh, right? You may take longer to accumulate the experiences that you need in order to apply to medical school, but that's okay. Again, I'm going to say this over and over again. This is not a race. Take the time, learn to enjoy life and enjoy the experiences that you're having now because you also never know. Any of us could die tomorrow. We want to make sure that the time that we're spending now is well spent. It's not just in pursuit of a goal 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 50 years from now that may not ever happen. Because again, we never know what life will bring. It's okay to have goals. Obviously, we had goals. (laughs) We encourage you to have goals. But if you are only living for the future, you're not living a wonderful life. You have to be living for the now and for the future. Okay, another point is you don't have to get all A's. This is a big pre-med myth. You can get into medical school with some B's and even some C's. Obviously, the less the better, but don't despair if you struggle in a few classes. We struggled in a few classes and we are where we are today. Don't be afraid to take a class again if you need to. I actually got a DNNF that I've talked about before and I retook those classes. <laughs> don't give up if you don't have a perfect GPA is my point. Grades are not the only thing that matters. Do your best and focus on what you can control. Okay, two more points. You don't have to apply to medical school your senior year of college. It's okay to take a gap year. In fact, most applicants nowadays take at least one gap year in order to gain more experiences, save money, take a break from school, and overall just be better prepared for medical school. Again, I will continue to say this. This is not a race. The sooner you accept that, the happier you will be on this journey. I worked with a pre-med mentee um, a year ago who was just so dead set on applying to medical school right out of college, and she was making herself miserable. She was starting to get depressed because she was putting so much pressure on herself that I have to get everything in. I have to take all my pre-med classes. I have to take the MCAT. I have to get more clinical experience. I have to get more shadowing. I have to do all these things by this time in order to apply by a certain time. And I tried to tell her, hey, like you don't have to be miserable. This is a choice in part. I mean, things are going to be hard, but you do have more of a choice than you realize you have. And she didn't want to accept that. You know, I think that she made it harder for herself than it had to be. And it was hard for me to just try to tell her that's like, look, part of this is optional. You don't have to put all this pressure on yourself. And sometimes people are ready to accept that. And sometimes, yeah. they're, and that's okay, right? Everybody learns in their own way. And that's okay. Last point, resist the hyper-competitive pre-med culture. Just because other people are acting like it's a race, just because another student has three research publications, another one is bragging about their GPA or MCAT, another one is planning to apply to 40 schools, you do not have to participate in that competition. The competition that they think they are in is an illusion. And if you buy into that illusion, you will feed into your burnout. Competition encourages comparison and self-doubt and imposter syndrome and all these other negative things. And you don't need that in your life. Let them do their thing and you do what feels right for you. 
I can't emphasize that enough. I fed into that. I bought into that when I was a pre-med and I wish I hadn't because it really just made the journey harder. What about you? What do you think, Dr. Z? Yeah, essentially what you said, you do you. And one thing I would add to this is compared to when Dr. Marina and I were playing, you guys have an extra pressure of social media. And um, you're going to have a lot of website, a lot of social media groups and so forth. If you're getting a lot of this, Brad, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you start feeling that pressure in your chest or a little bit of anxiety, just remove yourself from it. Don't follow it. Don't check up on it because that's not what you need. Because nowadays with social media, it's so easy to get sucked into that. That's what I'm supposed to look like. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So Mm -hmm. it's really important that we're nowadays, you guys really have to monitor what you guys are seeing and looking at on social media, because that is a huge pressure. And it's driving a lot of anxiety and depression in a lot of youth and young adults as well. So please make that effort as well. And I am actually a very, very strong supporter of taking time off in between (laughs) Uh college and medical school. And I say this, I did it, but I also say it because I've gone through the whole process, right? And I can tell you, I am so grateful that I took that time off. Like I, if I could go back in time and be a younger doctor, uh, no, <laughs> I wouldn't have changed it. I think everything, the way it worked out was good. So you do you, everybody's uh, life experience process is different, but take that year or two or three that if you need to go for it. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. So remember a few things that you can do. You can't change the whole system, but you can do a couple of things to help stave off burnout now and in the future. One, learn how to take care of yourself now. Two, learn how to slow down and appreciate the present moments instead of worrying about an imaginary future. And three, recognize that you have more power than you realize to choose your attitude, your time commitments, and your timeline for becoming a doctor. That is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you keep listening. Let us know if there are topics you would like us to discuss in the future. We love hearing from you. And wherever you are on your medical journey, keep on going. You've got this. Peace and love, everyone.